0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at GraceCitySD.com. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you meet us exactly where we need to be met. For Thomas, who needed to put his Hands upon your wounds, Lord, in order to believe. Lord, you know what each one of us needs in our heart to believe, and you meet us there because you are a faithful, loving God who aims to draw us close to you, Lord. We thank you that your word is the revelation of who you are that we might believe. We pray for Randall this morning as he continues this series, Lord, of doubting doubts, How good it is, Lord, that even when we struggle in our faith, Lord, you are forever faithful. We ask you to speak to us this morning into the very deepest parts of our hearts and our spirits that we would walk away from here changed and not the same, that we would not look into the mirror and forget what we look like, but that we would see who we are and that you can change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Alright, well good morning. My name is Randall and um, I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. It's great to see you guys this morning. You know, one of the the cool things about um, the mornings for me is I wake up early, but then I get my son ready as well and we go and he helps me set up things. And, And so today you know one of the things that that he's doing is he's out in the the tech booth right now and so he's there with Oliver helping out and he's only eight years old so I think that's pretty cool you know that we have this church that we can serve alongside each other and and he's hanging out with Oliver so thank you Oliver for being there with Kai and before I got up here he's just he gave me a big hug he said dad do a good job do a good job so I'm gonna try to do that um and so today we're going to continue in our series called Doubting Doubts. And what we've been talking about is the reality that all of us, at some point or another, are going to face doubts. Uh, my son was baptized uh, a year and a half ago. And one of the things that I know in his Christian walk is that he will face doubts along the way. At some point, he's going to wrestle through it. And so that's what we've been talking about in this series. And, and so we started out in week one talking about John the Baptist And Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest to ever be born in this world, like from born of a woman. So John the Baptist, yet he had these dark moments, these dark times that he had to wrestle through in his faith. So we talked about that in week one. We talked week two about Nathaniel and uh, God's response to skepticism. So we got to see that there, and then last week we talked about Mary and Martha and the heartache that they had, yet how Jesus met them right in the midst of their heartache. And so this week we're going to talk about, I think, one of the the most famous, um, if we were talking about doubting within the scriptures, and it's Thomas. Thomas, and so that's what we're going to be looking at today, and the text is John 20, 24 through 31, and here's the message Doubts transformed. Doubts transformed. You see, many scholars believe that the story of Thomas and Jesus is the natural end to the book of John. And the reason is because John seems to conclude the book in verses 30 and 31. And here's what he says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing may have life in his name. So as John is concluding this book here, he gives us the purpose, the reason why he wrote these things down. And so the first one is this. The first reason is the historical account we have in John is purposeful. So when you read through John, you know that every story is strategic. And you say, well, why is it like that? Like, what what is the reason, and the goal is this, that we would believe in Jesus as the Son of God? See, it's very purposeful. And so again, I was talking to the team this morning as we were getting everything ready for today, and I said, hey, here's the thing, we, we don't just come together to sing songs and I'm just gonna, not gonna come up here and, and share. Like, this is about Jesus. That's why we're gathering. And so today, my hope and my prayer is that you hear from the living God, from the risen Christ. He's alive. And so that is John's whole Purpose of writing all of this down for us to read today and here's the question why does John choose a struggling doubting disciple to write about here's why because ultimately it challenges us to lean in and confront the reality of our own personal doubts see and here's the thing We think, well, if if I doubt or if I share that I'm doubting or I I, I share that I'm struggling, then I'm going to be condemned. But again, as we talked about Jesus' response to people who struggle, it's not met with condemnation, but met with grace, love, care, compassion. You see, it's, it's sharing the doubts with the hope that we may believe that Jesus really is who he says he is. it's not just something on the surface but something that's happened within the heart you see this story is here to let us know that it's okay maybe in some ways normal to struggle with questions doubts and even stubbornness here's the thing if it happened to thomas Thomas, who walked with Jesus for three years. Thomas, who was a disciple and apostle of Jesus. Thomas, if it happened to Thomas, it can definitely happen to you and me. It can definitely happen to us. Brennan Manning, who is an author, once said this. He says, when I get honest, I I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and hate. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Right, let's get past the facade into the reality. We do have struggles and doubts. And we need to be reminded that even those that walked with Jesus like Thomas they were met with God's love and grace. See, we need to remember the fact that those who doubted didn't stay in their doubts, but were eventually transformed by believing and holding on to the truth. And so that's what we're talking about in this series when we talk about doubting doubts. So who is Thomas? Well, Thomas was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and John tells us that his nickname was Didymus, which means twin, Now, many believe that he is the other apostle named Judas. So he's not Judas Judas. He's the other Judas. And he's probably, he had to say that, you know, probably the rest of his time. Like, I'm the other Judas. Not that guy. And so throughout the time, he, um, you know, he he was Didymus, uh, which means the twin. But um, throughout time, he's taken on this other nickname of Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. And so we need to ask, is that fair? And so we need to ask how John defines Thomas throughout the book of John because John uh, doesn't only describe Thomas here, but he's in other parts of John. And so um, we find him three different times throughout the book. And two out of the three, here's the thing, he doesn't strike us as a doubter. He doesn't. And so the first place we find uh, Thomas is in John eleven sixteen, 16 and Jesus is talking about how he's going to Jerusalem and Thomas shouts out we will go with you and we will die with you there Jesus so we f- when we first find Thomas he's very courageous second time we find Thomas is when Jesus is talking about going away preparing a place for them And so Thomas says, Lord, where are you going? How do we get there? And that's when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what we find in John uh, 14 is that Thomas is very engaged in what Jesus is talking about. But then we get to John 20, and yes, we find him in a place where he is very skeptical about Jesus being alive. But eventually his doubts are transformed. Henry Nouwen said this, he says, the mystery of one man is too immense and too profound to be explained by another man. You see, when we try to explain Thomas's life or Thomas' story, it's way too simplistic when we just say doubting Thomas. See, there's so much more to him just like there's so much more to you than what your Facebook profile or Instagram can describe. Right, there's so much more. And Jesus knows that. And so again, our text is John 20, 24 through 31. And and here's the question, how does Jesus navigate the doubts of Thomas and the doubts that we might be facing today? And so he helps us navigate it in three ways. The first one is this, Jesus uncovers a conditional belief, a conditional belief. Two, a critical decision, and three, a deeper conviction. And so I give you all three, a conditional belief, a critical decision, a deeper conviction. And we're gonna break all this down from the text today. And so the first one is this. As we look at verses 24 and 25, a conditional belief. And so here's what it says. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So what we find here is that Thomas was not with the other disciples when they saw Jesus. For some reason, he's not there, and so he was excluded from that moment, and he didn't get to experience it, and so what we find is the disciples coming to him, and the way that this uh, is structured in the original language is that the disciples continued to try to convince him that they had seen the Lord. It's not just like one time, like, hey, Thomas, we saw Jesus. But they are begging, pleading with him, trying to convince him that they saw him. Like, this is real. And so Thomas has a response for his friends in verse 25. And this response comes with stipulations. He says, I'm going to believe what you're you're telling me right now. I have some stipulations that I'm going to put out there. And let's just see if it happens because if these things don't happen then I will never believe so here's what he says he says unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side I will never believe some of us might say wow He's asking a lot. I mean, what a doubter. How can he say these things? I, I would never have done this. But we must take into consideration everything that he's just been to up to this point. Here's the thing he just saw Jesus die. This is somebody that he, he committed everything to following. He said, I believe that this guy is the Messiah, and I will leave all everything to go follow him. And now he has this traumatic experience. See, Jesus wasn't just beaten up and died. Like, he was crucified. And Thomas had to be deeply hurt over this. And there must have been something deep wedged in his heart that said, it is over. This whole thing following Jesus, it's over. Guys, stop it. It's done. See, have you ever been so discouraged that you thought there was no hope? That you thought that there's no way out? There's no possibility of rescue? That's where Thomas is. So whether knowingly or unknowingly, many of us make the same request to God. Say, God, I'm in this hopeless, desperate state and there's no way that I'm gonna believe in you unless this happens. God, if you don't come through on blank, I will never believe. See, and what we need more than anything is for this level of doubt that's wedged deep inside of our hearts that we don't know many times because we don't even know our own hearts, we need it to be uncovered by Jesus himself. See, how was Thomas going to grow in his faith? It's when he realized how conditional his faith really was. At this point, it's conditional. It's Jesus, I'll believe that he's alive if these things happen. And he needed to realize that those stipulations that he was putting on God were something that were holding him back from seeing the risen Jesus. You see, many of us do the same things. And so what we see here. It's a conditional belief in Christ. But then we get to the second part of it. It's a critical decision. And so look at verses 26 through 28. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. So this time it's different. Thomas is with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And when he said this, or when he said, Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Okay, and here's the thing. He says, my Lord and my God. That's his response. this is where everything comes together for Thomas. Right, like he puts those stipulations out there, he puts those conditions out there for Jesus, but then now Jesus comes and confronts them. And, and, and so Jesus, says in verses 26 and 27, came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. But then it says next, he went straight to Thomas. See, he greets the group and then he gets it to a place where it's very personal for Thomas. I've seen these guys. Now it's time to see you, Thomas. Commentator Randolph Tasker says this. He says, peace unto you, offered to all who are present, the Lord at once uh, addresses Thomas. The injunction, be not faithless, implies that there can be no permanent faith in Jesus except faith in him as the risen Lord who still bears the scars of his atoning death. Thomas was faced with the alternative either of Christian faith or unbelief. This is Thomas's moment of critical faith, a decision that's going to say, will you accept the risen Jesus with the nail scars in his hands or will you completely disregard that he is who he says he is? See, and here's the interesting thing. Jesus must have heard Thomas's request because now he responds specifically to his doubts. Jesus, from what we know, wasn't there with the disciples when Thomas made this. Request. And, and here's the thing, he says, I need to touch those places. We don't find that he specifically touched those places, but he instantly, as he experiences Jesus, says, my Lord and my God. Now John writes later, about Jesus, and in 1 John 1, 1, he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now again, we don't know specifically if Thomas touches those places and says, okay, now I believe my Lord and my God, or he just instantly responds, but it seems like he just instantly responds, doesn't even need to touch them. But John says this later so that we know that Jesus wasn't a ghost or anything like that. He is a live, resurrected body, Jesus. And now Thomas has, he has to make this critical decision that will impact the rest of his life. It's the decision not to see Jesus as just another failed Messiah who died, but to see him as the risen Messiah who has defeated sin and death. And again, his response was, my Lord and my God. Dr. Mark Moore about this text says, for a Jew to say to another man, my Lord and my God was blasphemous. Thomas has crossed the line. He now believes in the incarnation of God. See again, people will try to say, well Jesus was just a great teacher, philosopher, all of these types of things. But when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 I just came to teach you some good things. He receives it. See, that's the critical decision that all of us must make in the midst of our doubts is saying, is Jesus who he says he is? Lord and God. In 1943, Dorothy Sayers, who created, uh, she's, she was an author created this mini-series about Christ uh, for the BBC. And she says something interesting about Thomas's profession of faith. And, and here's what she says. She says, um, it is the only place where the word God is used of him without qualification of any kind and in the, midst, in, in the most unambiguous form of words. She says, it is unexpected but extraordinarily convincing that the one absolutely unequivocal statement that the whole gospel of the divinity of Jesus should come from doubting Thomas. Here's what she's saying. She's saying that out of all the people to make the clearest statement about who Jesus is, it comes from the one that we've labeled throughout history as doubting Thomas. Here's the thing. Jesus can take the most ardent doubter and transform them into the most decisive believer. But it first takes being confronted with a critical decision about who we believe Jesus is. And that's the thing that was brought to Thomas. And what happens next? Uh, A deeper conviction. Verse 29, look at this. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Here's the thing. You know, we, we have to think about how Jesus is saying this because it's much like when we talk about Nathaniel and we say, like, do you believe? Like, is this all it's gonna take for you to believe? With a smile on his face, like as he's responding and he says, have you believed because you have seen me? Right, like he made these stipulations, he made all these qualifications of this is what it's gonna take for me to believe, but Jesus doesn't say, because you've touched me. He says, now you believe because you've just seen me? I-, I thought you were that guy that said, I will never believe unless I touch you. Then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Jesus is taking Thomas deeper in his faith, that, faith than he'd ever been, And in many ways, up to this point, his faith was built off of what he could see. Right, like I see this, and so it must be true. But what Jesus is doing is saying, no, you need to believe in what you can't see. That's what faith is. See, Jesus is telling us that believing in him is much deeper than sight's. Hebrews 11:1 says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Here's the thing. Thomas was a part of the 12. He's one of the apostles of Jesus. He needed to be so convinced That Jesus is who he says he is because he was going to be sent out to go tell the world about Jesus here's the thing about you and me we're in a place now where why does John say these things about the purpose of all this because he is pleading with us today Saying, I'm writing this down, I'm writing this story down so that you know that there was a struggling disciple that had to meet Jesus face to face. But here's the reason, I want you to believe. So today we hear their testimony. That's why the word of God is so important. It isn't about my words or what I think or any of these things. It's about what does God think. And we get the words of these disciples that are speaking to us Today. And here's what they're pleading with us. Would you believe that Thomas met Jesus and went out as a disciple of Jesus because he saw something that made him a different person? See, he took him to a place of deeper conviction. And we must be willing to face the frailty of our own belief and our weakness so that Jesus can strengthen us in the midst of our doubts. We gotta face the reality that we struggle, and we have doubts, and it's, it's a part of it, but he doesn't want us to stay there, he wants to transform us. Os Guinness says this, he says, if ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we were believing what clearly was not worth believing. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger. It knows God more certainly, and it can enjoy God more deeply. Do you believe that Thomas, as he wrestled with these moments of doubt, was able to find Jesus more lovely than he did before? He was able to meet him in a place of knowing that Jesus still loved him and accepted him right where he was at. That's grace. And so quickly, just some takeaways. Takeaways. How can our doubts be transformed? We need to ask three questions. The first one is this. Is your faith conditional? Is it built on conditions? I mean, what stipulations are we trying to place on God? Maybe it's a job, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's family, maybe it's a home, relationships, whatever that might be. What is it that we're putting on God and saying, okay, these are the conditions for my faith. Are you saying to God, I I won't believe until you provide blank? Because as you ask those questions, here's the thing. Jesus' whole goal is that we see that he's better than that thing that we're asking for. And that he's there in the midst of our struggles and pains. Because here's the thing, all of those things that we ask for at some point will leave us. They will. But Christ says, never will I leave you or forsake you. So is your faith conditional? Second, have you asked the hard questions? So here's the thing. Thomas had to wrestle with the idea that someone could resurrect. That it was actually possible for someone to resurrect. He he expressed his skepticism and asked the hard questions. Could it be true? And so here's the thing. What questions do you need to wrestle with? And have you been confronted with the reality of Jesus' resurrection and that it's true? And how does it change the way in which you live? Timothy Keller writes, he says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blith Go through life so are too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do, will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse o- almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which would only be discarded after long reflection. And so we we need to have those moments where we can reflect and say, here are the hard things for me to believe, but I'm going to wrestle through this. It's not like just ignore it all, right? Push it to the side. Don't ask the hard questions, but lean into it and know that Jesus will answer them. And the last one is this Do you believe his wounds are for you? Do you believe his wounds are for you? See, this is where it becomes personal. Jesus can have wounds, right? But, but do you ask the question, why does he have those wounds? Right, he comes back, but, but why does he have one? Because here's the thing, no other God has wounds. Study different faiths. There is no other faith where there's a God who dies. See, it's only in Christianity that we find God becoming weak, vulnerable, and killable. You might say, well, why? So that you and I can have a God that can actually relate to struggles, to pains, to hardships. He can sympathize with us. Do you have a God that you believe can sympathize with you and what you're going through? Because here's the thing Hebrews four fi- fifteen says this for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He can sympathize with our weaknesses say, here's the thing, we can't come to God and say, well, you don't know what I'm going through. You've never been through pain. Recently, I was listening to, um, and I'm going to wrap this up, but here's the thing. Recently, I was listening to this um, older man in the faith uh, talking about this, this story. His name's Ed Clowney, and he said, you know, there's this, this uh, play that was written. And he said, here's the premise of the play. The premise was um, in Germany, after the Nazis had been caught, captured for the atrocities that they were doing, and they were, the the people within Germany were asking the question. They said, well, well, who knew? Who knew? You say in the first part of the play, people say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Who knew? And so then it goes to the second part of the play. It says, uh, People start saying, well, I, I guess I kind of knew. I heard the trains passing by. I heard the people inside. I, I guess I knew. But it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault that that happened. And then, so they start looking They say, well, who's, whose fault is this? And they start going higher and higher up the chain. To the point where they get to God say God it's your fault the Holocaust is your fault God and so we're gonna put you on trial so they put God on trial and the people find him guilty they say God for your punishment Here's what we're going to do. You're going to have to become a Jew. And you're going to have to walk this world hated. And you're going to have to pay the penalty by dying a gruesome death. God, that's what your punishment is. And here's the thing. It already happened. It already happened. And it wasn't his fault. It was ours. And in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our questions, in the midst of our blaming God and saying it's your fault, he was beaten, he was wounded, he was vulnerable, and he died for me. And when we look into the eyes of the crucified Jesus, who's now resurrected, like it says in Galatians 3.1, where he says, I, I preached Christ to you so vividly that it was like he was crucified before, like he, the risen Christ. He'll meet us in our doubts. He'll meet us with his grace. He'll meet us with his love. And he'll transform our weakness by his strength. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that even though we've got struggles in the midst of our doubts, Lord, that you meet us with your grace and mercy and love, even though we might blame you for things that you didn't do, You took the punishment on our behalf. And so, Lord, we come to you just asking for your help to see. And if there's anyone here today that needs to just see simply the wounds in your hands, then the piercing in your side, Holy Spirit, that you do that in our lives. We thank you, God for loving us right where we're at and helping us to doubt our doubts when they're so strong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.